Good morning, everyone. Uh, great to see you all here today uh, on this lovely sunny day. Um, my name's Rory. I'm part of the staff team here, and I oversee all things worship and production. Um, I'm married to Hannah, and uh, we're currently... Uh, We've been here for HTC for about six and a half years, and we're currently expecting our, our first baby, which is very exciting. Um, due date is uh, two months today, um, which is, again, is exciting, terrifying, and all the feelings. Um, let me pray for us now as uh, we look at God's word together this morning. God, we thank you that your word is living, that your word is active and alive today. Would you help us all now as, as we look at it together? Would you help me as I uh, speak from it, as I teach your word? Would you re- come and reveal yourself by your spirit to each one of us? Would you speak uh, into each one of our lives here today? And we pray that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. So each one of us has a life story. Each and every person who ever existed has one. Our lives are stories. They are stories that tell of who we are. Stories bound up in our identity. I wonder if you've ever heard of uh, the story of the pivotal moment in the life of Martin Luther, um, who was alive in the 1500s in Germany. Um, At the age of 21, he was studying law, and his life seemed very much to be heading down that path of becoming a lawyer and doing all the law things. But um, having been home to visit his family one summer, uh, he uh, was on his way back to where he was studying, and he was traveling by horseback. Um, And as he traveled, uh, a thunderstorm passed overhead, and a lightning bolt struck very close to where he was riding. And uh, this lightning bolt, it threw him off his horse, um, the strength of the thunderbolt. And in that moment, as the storm loomed overhead, he was fearing for his life. And he prayed, he prayed, God, if you save me, I will dedicate my life to you. And the story goes that he survived, and he did exactly what he said, and he dedicated the rest of his life to following Jesus. And in fact, in that moment, he gave up his law studies, and he became a monk, um, and that kind of led him down the path of becoming a theologian, and eventually was the person that brought around the Protestant Reformation in Europe. Now, a bit closer to home, uh, we have members of our congregation who have published biographies, stories about the pivotal moments in their lives, As we've been hearing over the last few weeks, William Wilberforce has an amazing life story. Wilberforce, who worshipped here in this church 200 years ago. I'm sure even Jimmy the donkey that we met this morning outside, he has a great life story too. Although I'm not sure it's quite as exciting as Wilberforce's. And you have a life story. I have a life story. Even mine and Hannah's unborn child has a life story. All of us have them. I heard a story um, of uh, someone here in London uh, this week. Um, this actually happened. Uh, there was, they were going on holiday. Um, they were going uh, somewhere sunny, going to the airport. And they arrive at the airport. They go through security. They go through passport control. Um, they get on the plane, ready to, to leave to sunnier lands. And just as the plane was about to leave, about to close the door, uh, the police boarded, and they arrested this man. He was taken back into the airport, into a side room, and interrogated by the police. They thought that he was this wanted man illegally trying to leave the country. And as he was being interrogated, um, his flight departed out the window behind him. And at that same moment, the police realized that he wasn't the man they were looking for. He wasn't the person they thought he was. They'd arrested the wrong man, 
a classic, if unfortunate, case of a mistaken identity. This morning, we're not looking at a case of a mistaken identity, but we are thinking about identity, and we're going to be asking the question, who? As we look um, at this story of Jesus' life in Luke's Gospel, we're asking, who is this Jesus? Who is this person riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? And as we look at the passage that Chloe read for us, um, we're going to think about this question in two ways. The first one is, who does this passage say Jesus is? And the second one is, who do you say Jesus is? It's a lovely, joyful noise, isn't it? <laughs> now, these questions, they may seem like quite simple questions. They might seem like quite basic questions. But in reality, they're huge questions. They're real, they're life-defining questions. And they're questions that each one of us must uh, take the moment just to stop and think and answer for ourselves. And they're particularly big questions as we come into Easter as well. Over this next week, we're going to be thinking and walking through uh, the the events, the stories of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Our answers to the question, who do you say Jesus is, changes how we engage with these stories, how we respond to Jesus in this coming week. It's the story of the most pivotal and important moment in the history of the whole world. And they can change everything about our stories as well. So when we look at the passage together now, you might want to get it open in front of you, Luke 19, uh, starting at verse 28. And in the chapters that happened just before uh, this moment, Jesus has been traveling all around Israel. He's teaching about the coming kingdom of God. He's showing parables. He's healing. He's uh, performing miracles everywhere he goes. And as we join the story, he approaches Jerusalem near to this place called the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives isn't a mountain as such. You'll see there's a picture of it going to come up. Um, But it's more of just a mound or a hill um, at the top of the valley just outside Jerusalem. It's about three kilometers away from the city itself. And it's it's somewhere you can still go and visit today. I think it might be on one of the big tourist trips as you go around Jerusalem. And it's a place of great significance um, throughout Scripture because it's a place of messianic encounter. Now, that means um, it's a place where Jesus, where God reveals himself to his people. In the Old Testament, King David, uh, the king who was pointing towards the coming Messiah, prayed on the Mount of Olives in a moment of turmoil. The prophet Ezekiel had this vision of the glory of the Lord, which is this tangible, visible uh, presence of God, moving from over Jerusalem to over the Mount of Olives. And Jesus himself, the one who is known as the son of David, Um, he would return to the Mount of Olives several times in the the coming week, in in the last few days of his life. And he would go to the Mount of Olives to seek God. So there's this significance to us finding Jesus on the Mount of Olives today. It's a place of the coming Messiah. It's a place of the presence of God. And it's really helpful to acknowledge this significance now because it helps us understand everyone's reactions to Jesus. They'd have all been so aware of this important place, of the importance of the coming Messiah returning right there. And there'd have been this eager anticipation, this eager expectation um, among the people there, hoping and praying for the coming Messiah. And they'd have been hoping and praying for that for many years, for many generations. So there's this bring anticipation among the people in Bethpage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives. And suddenly in our passage, everything falls into place for them. 
And it's important for us to be aware of this because I think we miss it in the English translation. We miss it because we're not in that cultural moment. We're not aware of that anticipation of Jesus returning in that place um, right then. But let's have a look at those responses um, as people encounter Jesus in the passage now. First of all, why don't we think about the cult owners, uh, the donkey owners. Um, They'd have probably just been your everyday locals, uh, keeping donkeys, minding their own business. The donkeys were probably actually their business um, itself, um, probably used for transport and for trading. And these these cult owners, they don't encounter Jesus face to face, and yet they, but they do encounter him still, and they uh, they do respond to him. Let's see that in the passage. You want to flick to verse twenty nine. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead uh, went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus. So these cult owners are told, the Lord needs their donkey. I don't know about you, but if someone came to me and started to steal something of mine, um, something of real value, and their excuse is, the Lord needs it, I'm not sure I'm going to fall for that. I'm not not sure that I'm going to agree with them. I'm going to be pretty suspicious, pretty outraged. What do you mean, the Lord needs my donkey? But there's this powerful wordplay that Luke uses in the original language that we don't get in our English translation that um, helps us understand their reaction in that moment. Um, And it's the word owners. The word owners of the donkeys can actually literally be translated the lords of the donkeys. Now that changes our understanding of that because the lords of the donkeys are suddenly invited to hand over a donkey to the actual lord. And this would have been ringing bells in their ears. Think, remember that anticipation that they're thinking um, at that time. They're suddenly thinking, oh, the Lord is here on this mountain, this place where we know the Lord is present. The Lord, the actual Lord, is back. And so these cult owners, they don't have a case of mistaken identity. They recognize who Jesus is. They recognize Jesus as Lord. And then have a think about the response in the next bit of the passage, as Jesus begins to ride down towards Jerusalem. Verse 35. They, the disciples, brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Something clicks in this moment for everyone around. A donkey being ridden down the Mount of Olives. And just like their awareness of the importance of the place, also, um, there's also this awareness of the importance of this um, event happening in front of them. And it was found in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, um, this prediction of the coming king. And Zechariah writes this. He writes, Rejoice greatly, O great daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's this long-awaited moment uh, for God's people, prophesied long ago, their king arriving in Jerusalem, riding on a colt from the Mount of Olives. And so to these people, they begin to lay down their cloaks before him, to welcome him. It's a picture of submission. These people taking off their outer layers, their protection, and they're bearing themselves before their king, at the mercy of their king. 
These people don't have a case of mistaken identity, but they recognize Jesus. They recognize the coming Messiah, and they submit to Jesus as king. And then there's the next group of people. There is the disciples who begin to celebrate as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Verse 37. um, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now this crowd of disciples, they too don't have a case of mistaken identity but they celebrate Jesus as their king. They know Jesus. They have spent time with him. They have seen his miracles, uh, seen the healings that he has performed, the salvations that he has brought. They've even witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. They know Jesus is the king. They know he is a king worthy of praise. So that's what they do. They joyfully praise God in loud voices. They shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But we also see that not everyone joins in with them. There are the Pharisees, these strict teachers of Jewish law. And they were disturbed by this scene of worship happening outside of their temple, outside of their strict rules. And so in the middle of these celebrations, they, they stop Jesus, they accost him. And they say this, verse 39 in our passage. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replies, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I find it really interesting here that um, the Pharisees, even in their rebuke of Jesus, they still recognize him as a teacher. They still recognize um, his authority in that moment, even though they're clearly suspicious of everything that's actually happening in front of them. They think everyone else has this case of mistaken identity calling Jesus Lord. But what they do recognize is his authority. And in in that moment, in the face of that um, uh, argument, Jesus confirms that he does hold authority. That even if human cries of praise and worship for him were silenced, he in all his majesty has the authority of heaven and earth to make even inanimate objects cry out in praise and worship. His authority, his rule, his reign, it provokes that response of worship and praise. The psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. But also note that Jesus is so humble with his authority. It's not what you'd expect of a king. He's not an authoritarian ruler. He's riding on a colt, on the foal of a donkey, a baby donkey. Not some flagship decorated horse. No, there's a lowly humility in the way that he chooses to arrive. And then in front of this large crowd celebrating him, he took time to speak to the Pharisees. He wasn't infatuated with those cheering him, but he took time to come even to those who took issue with him. And even though he doesn't do what they say, he speaks truth to them. He shows care and compassion in that moment. And we see that throughout Jesus' life. He takes time to be with people, to listen to them, to respond to them with care and compassion. So what we've seen in the passage there so far is that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the King, the long-awaited one. He is the one who is in all his authority humbly revealed himself that Palm Sunday. And as he revealed himself, people recognized him as Lord and they submitted to him as King and they celebrated him as the Messiah. 
But now let's turn to that second question I posed at the start. Who do you say Jesus really is? You may know this quote from A.W. Tozer, the American theologian. He wrote this. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he continues, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever, has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshipper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. The most significant fact about any of us is not what we may say or do, but what we conceive God to be like. Now, you might be here and you might not uh, be a follower of Jesus. You may, may be in church for the first time. I don't know what your situation is. But if, you're, if you want to grapple with this question more, Natalie mentioned earlier about our upcoming Alpha course. Um, and there's this moment on Alpha, a little bit of a spoiler alert, where you get to consider these arguments of whether Jesus really is Lord or whether he is a liar or a lunatic. Now, if you're grappling with those, please do come and try Alpha. It's starting in a few weeks' time. It's a brilliant space to come and ask questions, to, to share in this journey together um, with other people asking similar questions. But this is also a really important question for those of us who already say that Jesus is King and Lord of our lives. But it's maybe worth just flicking the emphasis of the question from who do you say Jesus is? So am I really letting Jesus be king of my life? Am I really worshipping Jesus as king through all of my life? And it's a question worth asking ourselves because who we say Jesus is changes our, relationship, well, our worship of him. As Tozer says, our worship is pure or base as we, the worshippers, entertain high or low thoughts of God. And I say this because it's so easy to look at this passage today and think, yep, we're all okay. I'm all okay. But if we look under the surface of what's happening in our hearts, maybe we're avoiding the bigger questions, the ones that really demand our attention. We could be here right now thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm like those cult owners. I recognize Jesus as Lord. I'm not questioning him. I've got it all sorted. But if we're identifying with them, and we recognize Jesus as Lord of our lives. We need to recognize Jesus as Lord of all of our lives. Remember, the cult owners were the lords of the donkeys. But when they encountered Jesus, Jesus became Lord of their donkeys. So maybe the question we should really be asking ourselves is, what is it in my life that I'm still Lord over? And am I willing to let Jesus be Lord over that? Maybe that's my career. Maybe that's my status my family, my friends, my children, my home, my possessions. Or take um, the people who are laying their cloaks down before Jesus. We can fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I'm laying something down in my life uh, before Jesus. I'm submitting to him as king. But to identify with those people, we need to recognize that laying our cloaks down means making every part of ourselves vulnerable before Jesus. 
to lay our whole lives down at his mercy. So the question we should really ask is, am I really submitting my life to Jesus? Am I really trusting him with my security, with all of my story? And then think about the the crowd of disciples um, who are celebrating Jesus. It can be so easy for us to turn up at church and think, oh, I love to praise God joyfully. I love when we sing together. But if we're identifying with that celebrating crowd, maybe the question should really be, when is it that I have actively denied the praise of Jesus in my life? Maybe through a passing comment at work. Maybe through laughing along with friends at a joke that, that actually rejects Jesus as my king. I wonder if any of that has actually like rang true for you. I know it does for me. Um, far too often, there are things where I actually realize I have rejected Jesus as Lord of my life. Have we mistaken his identity through living as if he's not our king? And it's important to ask ourselves this question because less than a week later um, in our passage today, Jesus himself had a very different reception. There's this mirroring of events on Palm Sunday and Good Friday. I wonder if you know um, there's a cross on the back of a donkey. There's an image coming up. Unfortunately, it's not Jimmy. I wasn't able to snap a picture of him this morning. But um, can you see that cross um, going down the donkey's back? I can't prove that it's on every donkey, but I'm told that is so. Um, But that means that on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the cross on the donkey's back. But then on Good Friday, Jesus left Jerusalem, dragging a cross on his own back. On Palm Sunday, Jesus comes down from the Mount of Olives, the place of God's presence, to Jerusalem. And then on Good Friday, he leaves Jerusalem for another mount, Mount Calvary, the place where God would turn his face away from his son. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, there's this crescendo of voices praising him as king. But on Good Friday, we hear the voices condemning him to death and slowly falling away as he is taken away. The crowds that were full of praise are replaced with crowds that cry, crucify. The cloaks that were taken off and laid down for the king have gone. And now the king is stripped of all of his clothes. The colt that was graciously untied for the king watches on as the king is ungraciously tied to the cross. Where do you find yourself? Which camp are you in? Who do you say this Jesus is? I didn't finish the story earlier about the case of mistaken identity. Um, so remember the, this guy has been arrested by the police, taken off his flight, and uh, suddenly the, the police realize that he's not who they thought he was, and he's actually innocent. And so uh, the police, they, they let him go, and they're incredibly apologetic, and they book him onto the next flight the next day. So the guy goes away, comes back the next day, and uh, he has the second chance to get on his holiday. And he turns up in good time, and he goes through security and passport control, and he finds himself in the airport lounge and thinks, oh, after the ordeal I've been through, I need, I need a drink. And so he goes to the airport bar, and he, he has a drink, has a few drinks, and unfortunately, by the time he makes his way to, to the gates, um, the flight has left. Um, he'd missed his opportunity. Don't miss your opportunity today to respond to Jesus.
the opportunity to recognize him as Lord and King of your life, the opportunity to submit your life to him, the opportunity to celebrate him as Lord, to worship him in all his majesty. It's an opportunity each one of us has today, whether Jesus is your Lord already or whether you want to invite him in for the first time, whether you need a second chance like the guy in the airport or a third chance or a fourth chance. Jesus is here. He's ready. He's welcoming. Whatever your life has looked like, whatever your life looks like right now, it's a chance for each one of us to rewrite our stories. That's what Jesus has on offer for each one of us today. And we know that this is the offer for us today because of what happens that Easter day, that first Easter day. The story of Easter, the events of Palm Sunday through to Easter Sunday, they prove who Jesus is. His triumphant entry into Jerusalem at that Palm Sunday points to him as the Messiah. And it is the fulfillment of promises and prophecies made long before in the Old Testament. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, the crowds cried. And then through his death and resurrection on Good Friday um, and his resurrection on Easter Sunday, Jesus proves that he truly is the Messiah, the King, the Lord of all. And the amazing thing is, if we are choosing to recognize Jesus as our Lord, this Easter story, it proves who we are as well. If we choose to say that Jesus is our King, then this becomes our new story. That we are chosen that we are loved without condition, that all of our sins are forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are made whole by the blood of Jesus spilt on that Good Friday, that we are restored to right relationship with God the Father, and that we too are raised from death to life with Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Weight of Glory, I read the other day that the the fundamental thing is not how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. We have this important decision to make about who we say Jesus is. But it is a question that is made infinitely easier uh, to answer when we know what God thinks of us. When we know that what he has done to show his great love for us through revealing himself as the Messiah in his word and for dying for us on that cross that Good Friday. C.S. Lewis continues, um, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his word, or um, a father in a son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. Jesus says that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are delighted in. Who do you say this Jesus is? Today, would you recognize that he is king? Will you submit to him as Lord? Will you come and celebrate him as your Messiah? Amen.